What you're about to experience is a free, worldwide, interactive broadcast from Ontario, Canada. We broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Get your questions in. Join the community chat room at www.category5.tv or email us at live at category5.tv. And now, let's begin. Here's your host, Robbie Ferguson. Welcome to episode number 177 of Category 5 Technology TV. Wow. Tuesday, February the 8th, 2011. Welcome to the show. 77. Welcome. I am King, or Ing. <laughs> King Ing. Hey, it's nice to have you here. I just, you know, I'm just as amused by the monitors as my daughter. He's had an awful lot of cold medication, folks. <laughs> I'm this, not sure what it is, but I want a couple of them. <laughs> this is indeed going to be the most nasally episode of Category 5 TV. That's so nice Robbie Ferguson, here. and I'm Eric Kidd. We're actually still analog, believe it or not, Cadwell, uh, tonight, but uh, we do our best. We do our best, but the new cable is on order, and uh, we should be up and good uh, next week with the digital HDMI, which is fantastic. Right. Yeah. Sounds good. How's your week been? My week... It's been all right. Yeah? I, uh, and the weekend? Well, I'm supposed to remember those things. I'm supposed to remember the weekend. Well, it was it? Super Bowl weekend. I mean... Oh, my goodness. I did actually so tune me. in a couple of times, but, uh, you know, there was there was some hockey going on, and I uh, I did have really? a little bit of chili. So you, didn't, so you didn't actually watch the game? <clears throat> there was a football game? <laughs> yes. Okay. We started a new tradition here, and look at this. I am dipping... Fresh tea. Look at that. Dripping Green fresh tea. tea. Dipping. Dripping, too. Oh. But, okay, I just thought it would Cheers. In my Ubuntu mug is tea tonight. Try to get better. You Cheers. don't want to <laughs> touch glasses with me. Mm. Okay, who, that's who made the through. coffee that's in my... I made the coffee. Right, and I bet you probably breathed on it, too. Sure I did. Okay. What was I saying? Oh, we started a new tradition of, uh, with Category yes. 5 viewers this weekend. If you follow me on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash Robbie Ferguson, and uh, that's... What are you laughing at? <laughs> you, got, you got a good kick out of it, didn't you? I did, too. Well, there's a, there's a handful of us geeks who simply don't believe in the tradition of football, for whatever reason. I'm not philosophically against football. I'm I just... got beat up in high school just as much as the next guy, and that is why... We, this year, we founded Super Trek Sunday. Wow. What are you laughing at, John? So pretty much, you know, myself... For, and waiting for an explanation. Well, we, we pretty much, you know, sat around watching Star Trek while everyone else was watching the game. It was... I didn't, I didn't have a problem with Super that. Super Trek Weekend, or... No, what Super Trek Sunday. Super Trek Sunday. Yeah, did anybody, uh, anybody participate who's joining us in the chat room tonight? It was actually pretty good. I was, I was sitting there going, Archer! 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 And he, he won. Good. Good, good. USS Enterprise for the win. Yeah. She didn't see that coming. Eh? <laughs> Speaking of didn't see it coming, Gadwell says, you could have let us know two or three days ahead of Super Trek Sunday. Well, we just made it up the morning of. Right. That's how original and... stifle creativity. No. It's got to be spontaneity I, to the I pretty much here. woke up Sunday morning and realized uh, as I'm watching my Twitter fly by with news about sports that uh, okay we got to do something about this i have and, an idea uh, john next year we'll have the category five invitational tag football game on super bowl sunday in the snow it'll okay, be great it's gonna we'll be super, do it trek super trek sunday it's going to be an annual thing we're already talking about our you own can commercials dress up in your track stuff but we'll still play football we're going to produce our own commercials and everything yeah right <laughs> in the snow it'll be fun it'll be great uh it'll be a good time so plan for it Super Trek Sunday, next Super Bowl. Okay. I don't know much about the Super Bowl. I honestly don't. Like, is it an annual thing? Well, no, it started in 67. It started in 67. Okay. So it's been annual for a few years, yeah. Oh. Uh, you weren't born then, were you? So, yes, it's every year for you. Okay. It's not Fantastic. every year for me. So we'll no, plan for it next year, all my lovely yeah. geek friends. We can play football, but we'll dress up in Star Trek gear. We're not going to play football, are we? Not if it's minus five or lower. <laughs> exactly, if it's minus five or less. All right. Okay, tonight we're uh, talking about uh, Safer Internet Day here in Canada. We'll be uh, chatting about that for a little bit. Uh, also, uh, we've got a feature tonight. We're going to be looking at how to choose the right surge protection for your computer and other peripherals. 
<laughs> what prompted that? Well, we'll talk about it in a little bit. <laughs> We've also got that chance for you to win Wirecast 4, so stick around. And uh, yeah, lots of questions to uh, to cover tonight. Yes, ask indeed. you to join us in uh, in our chat room, category5.tv. We'd love to have you there. Yeah. Well. So what do you got going on? Well, I don't know. Should we jump into a couple of questions? Can that we do that already? already? That'd be fantastic. Seems early. Well. This is from Mark S. And an Ubuntu 10.04 user. I just got a Logitech USB desktop microphone and cannot get it to be recognized. I've seen other people get them to work, but their explanations are not clear to me. Robbie, you always answer the questions with easy to follow directions, which the audience very much appreciates. I'm really trying to stay away from using Windows. I try to listen to the show every week and would prefer to watch it live, but my job situation has changed. Thanks a lot for any help. Mark. Right. Well, Mark, so here's got, Robbie. Well, you've got this USB desktop microphone. It's, it's tough when it's a piece of hardware like that when I don't have it to test with, right? But typically using Ubuntu, what's going to happen is when you plug in a, a USB device such as that, and I can't speak for every device because, again, it, it depends on the device itself. But um, let's see. If, if we were to go up to our speaker up at the top here, and just single click on it and go sound preferences you're gonna see hardware and you're gonna see more than one uh, input device so what you can do is you can select the one that you want to be using which might be that um, see what it says choose a device for sound input under input you might see more than one there if you plug in that USB device but by default your computer may just be grabbing the the one that's built into your computer or uh, whatever it may be. So it, you may not think that the microphone's working, but it may actually be working. It's just that you need to select it as the input source. Um, so again, in order to do that, I'll just close that out again. Just single click on your little speaker icon up here, sound preferences, and go to input and choose the device that, uh, that happens to be that Logitech USB device for input. And that is, of course, considering that the device is, in fact, working. If it's a driver issue, then, uh, then you may consult the Ubuntu forums. It would be a good place to check out, uh, because other people who have that particular device may have already encountered the problem, if it's a problem, and, uh, and they may have uh, suggestions for you on how to get the drivers working, if that's the case. But give that a go first, and, uh, but without the hardware myself, I, I don't have any way to really know um, what that issue would be. So. But uh, Ubuntu Forums uh, is a great place. I'm going to post links for you in the show notes uh, for episode number 177. And uh, it would be a great place to get involved in the community as well uh, of people who are um, sharing the Ubuntu experience with you. So, there you go. Ubuntu for the win. <laughs> and since Mark is not watching live, he's going to have to watch it later. He oh, can hey, Mark. just run and try it and let us know whether it Oh, okay, this not, is Mark so. here. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, Mark. Cheers. Okay. Well, um, this is unfortunate. <laughs> double clicking on everything. Oh no, it didn't work. Before oh, it didn't work. Double click. So oh. that's why I double clicked. Oh, weird. Oh, okay. Hey, let's see. If if I may, I'm just no. going to kind of reach over to, to your mouse here. Don't worry, I don't touch I didn't my cough. coffee. But here, let I me touch cough. your mouse. Wow. No, I didn't. I didn't cough into my hand or anything. Yeah, we. I may just restart. <laughs> this uh, IMAP sometimes not a beautiful thing which one are you looking at? which one are you trying to look at? well we just did that one so it was right. uh, message 76 fantastic that's the question we're well, give it a, give right it a sec now. give it a sec just don't click on anything else okay <laughs> there you go this is category 5 technology TV as we wait for IMAP to download this email which maybe it has an attachment or some <laughs> crazy thing that could be it it's possible all right, we'll, we'll check it out. Uh, get your questions in in the chat room as well. Category5.tv, we'd love to have you there. Here we go. Okay. That's all it is. Patience. Have no, patience. No, I down here. There you go. Oh, okay. And he clicked it down is, there. I clicked somewhere else where it was saying 0% retrieved. I said, tag with you. Okay, this is from Greg. And, hey, Greg. Uh, Greg is using Ubuntu 10.10. Hey, Robbie and Eric, I am looking for the old shows on the new website. Episodes 1 to 30. Can't find them. 
Let me know where I can have a look. Regards, sure. Greg. Okay, Greg. Well, first of all, the new website is focused primarily on season four at this point. As we work our way through season four, earlier seasons are going to be added to the uh, to the new website as well. There is a certain level of uh, of work that uh, is involved in actually making that happen. So it's really a you know as we can, we're going to be adding those for you. Um, in the meantime. Some of the old RSS feeds still exist, even though they're not necessarily publicly uh, available. Let me just see if I can remember one off the top of my head. And I'll just confirm that this actually indeed contains, yes, here's one that contains every episode all the way back to episode one. So by bypassing the website as a temporary measure and using this RSS feed, you can get some of these old files, okay? Because these are not available on our website. They are extremely dated. Um, so of course, for nostalgic reason reasons or just to uh, see how far the show has come, it's kind of fun to look at some of those older episodes. But the content uh, the itself is, you know, when you're looking at something that's four years old when it comes to technology. What's up? Oh, I just noticed FL Studio there. Yeah, so. FL Studio 7. Wow. We're at FL Studio 9. All right. Right, so this is how dated things can be. Uh, talking about things like, uh, make sure you try Barrel so that you can get the cool effects and stuff. And Barrel closed down two years ago and is comp is fusion, right? So these kinds of things in these old episodes that you're, you're not going to find too helpful. You might find it amusing and you might learn some things. But you want to be careful with the older episodes because it might recommend something be installed in your system that you don't want to install because it's three years out of date kind of thing. So this link here is vodcast.category5.tv slash main underscore best dot rss. And what that feed is, is these are basically the master files at the time. So you really, really get a sense for how our quality has improved over the years. Um, so starting with episode number one, and you can just scroll up and you can download those mp4 files. Or of course, if you have an aggregator, uh, which is an application like Miro Internet TV, for example, that is able to subscribe to that feed. You'll be able to get those uh, downloaded to your computer uh, a whole lot faster as well. All right. Very nice. Okay, this is from Dennis. Hey, and Dennis. Dennis is uh, using Lucid as an operating system. Cool. After creating a virtual disk on one machine, then moving it to a second machine, the network stuff doesn't work on the new virtual machine created on the second machine. How do I change the network settings to get it to work? So we're talking about virtual hard disks here? Maybe in like virtual box or not really specified. Well, you're creating a virtual disk on one machine then moving it to a second machine. Physical or virtual? I'm just with virtual disk, I'm not sure. Mm. Network stuff doesn't if it's a virtual machine and you're moving the virtual disk from one virtual machine to another? That's my guess, is it's a virtual disk moving from one virtual machine to another virtual machine. Okay. If we're wrong, Dennis, let us know. Uh, in the meantime, double check your, um, uh, your network settings on the actual virtual machine that you're moving the disk over to, because I'm not sure that it would be uh, drive-related. It's going to be the network is set to NAT as opposed to bridged uh, on your network adapter for VirtualBox or whichever system you're using. Um, let us know if that even, I, I won't take too much time on it because there's not enough information there for us to understand the nature of the problem. But if that's what it is, uh, check that you're set to bridged mode and not NAT mode. Okay. Uh, if it's a physical machine, Agamotto suggesting, for example, that uh, you're, if your uh, ETH0 is no longer ETH0, if it's a physical machine, you'd need to set that up in uh, network, uh, etc slash network slash interfaces, I believe. Um, but again, that's that's a physical machine. Not sure what you mean by virtual uh, virtual disk. So we'll wait for an email from you, Dennis, to clarify. Okay. Okay. Guess so I'll we'll read this one from Category Five. So just having a little bit of latency here, picking up some yeah, of the messages on. here. Um, I wonder if we're uh, our mail server has been running a little bit slow since our uh, little pogo plug prize giveaway. I don't know if maybe somebody caught on and, and said, okay, we need to put on some restrictions here. Oh, oh. And that's what's happening here is that his, his email is taking a moment to load IMAP. 
It is lag Agamotto, not on, not on our internet, but just on the IMAP server itself. So oh, I thought he was talking about lag of woolen from Isla. No. I have no idea what he just said. Did that have to do something with sports? Scotch. Oh. Scotch. Oh, Sorry. okay. <laughs> well, this is Ken Marlowe's question. Hey, Ken. And the pronunciation is reckon. Okay. Um, okay. And the operating system is converting a laptop to Ubuntu. Robbie, I have a dual boot laptop already, but since my wife uses it a lot, it mostly stays using Vista. I salvaged another laptop to be my own and plan on installing Ubuntu. Question, what benefits might I need to consider whether I should set up a dual boot or just wiping out the original OS, which was okay. XP, and getting rid of it since I have access to a Windows system if needed? Cool. All right, so new laptop, want to be able to dual boot. Or wonder if that's even worth worth you a while. Right. Um, thing is, is dual booting really depends on how you know. Do you need any of the Windows features? Interesting thing about Windows or about Linux, I should say. Pardon me. Whoops. Don't want to make that slur too often. Interesting thing about Linux is you can boot from a uh, a live CD, like say Ubuntu, for example, right? And with that live CD, you'd be able to um, you'd be able to actually check out what features of Ubuntu or what features of the Linux distribution of choice uh, work on your system. So that way you're able to find out before you go wiping out your hard drive if you're happy with the way things are going to perform, other than the fact that you're running off of a CD so it's going to be ultra slow. Um, whether you want a dual boot is really dependent on do you ever need Windows, like need Windows. So that would be the gamer, the person who wants to be able to boot into a native Windows environment to play their favorite uh, Windows games. Um, that said, if you're not a heavy gamer and you just play the occasional World of Warcraft or something, you know, maybe those things can be played with Wine, so, uh, and that's in Linux. So you want to check that out if that's the case. But really, these days beyond the most current, current, current versions of Photoshop and you know, the gaming, those are really the key things. Uh, CAD applications that are Windows only if, if you're stuck in that kind of a boat. Usually it comes down to that where somebody spent thousands of dollars on programs, for example, and that's what's holding them into Windows is the, the fact that, oh, if I fully make the switch, I'm losing that investment. Um, and that's an unfortunate scenario that can happen quite often, especially with things like Photoshop when you know graphic designers and uh, web designers, often that happens. So if there's nothing that's holding you to Windows, then uh, give it a try as a full... Uh, Ubuntu or Linux operating system on that computer. What I did when I was first experimenting with Linux, uh, and this is quite a few years ago as you can imagine, but when I was at that point, I did a dual boot and then I started, what I did is I used that as an opportunity for me to comfortably phase out Windows. So I was able to reboot into Windows, use the things, um, like for me it was Photoshop, um, that I needed to do in Windows and then go back to Linux for all of my internet surfing, all of my chatting, all of my regular day-to-day -day stuff. And then I started finding, as I got more and more tired of rebooting, I'd start using the GIMP and I'd realize that, wow, I can actually do a lot of the stuff that I can do in Photoshop in this free application that comes with, with Linux. Um, and then you're able to start saying, okay, now I'm at that point where I've comfortably worked Windows out of my life and, uh, and you're able to make that switch a lot more, um, a lot easier. So for fear of finding yourself at the place where, oh, oh my, I don't know what to do because I'm, I'm stuck using nothing but Linux, uh, I would say dual boot. And then that way you've got that chance to revert back, or some would say regress. And then, uh, and then you'd be able to you know, have that fail safe, have that something to fall back on so that you're comfortable. And then really work your way uh, towards um, phasing that out. And you're going to save a lot of money and you're going to save a lot of headaches and you're going to find a lot of freedom. Uh, and uh, that, would be, that would be the way I'd approach it, for sure. Comments in the chat room, we welcome them. Category5.tv. Indeed. Okay, here's another one. And this is from Dennis Finnegan, MathMan47. Hey, Dennis. Um, and his operating system is Windows 7, 64-bit and loving it. Okay. So, that's the I, actual name of the operating system. <laughs> that you know, how we've had it's, all these different uh, It has a big M for a logo. Yeah. 
I am no longer able to log into the chat room. Oh. Whenever I try, I get a pop-up that reads, you must supply your username and password in auth mode. What the heck is auth mode? This has been happening for about two months now. I'm logged into the category 5.tv site, so I know your system recognizes me. It is just the chat room that I can't get into. Please email by next Tuesday, 6 p.m. Oh. CST, so I can participate again. By the way, it's snowing like crazy in Chicago. Coming your way. Also, I loaded Wooby on my netbook. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah. Uh, but didn't find it. But it didn't find my network. Mm. Looks cool otherwise. If you are still getting contest emails from me, it is because of Comcast allowing only 1,000 outgoing emails per day on a personal account. <laughs> they want me to upgrade to a business account. Ever heard of that? Thanks. First of all, just to touch on um, emailing you at 6 p.m. Eastern. Oh, no, CST. No, CST. What's that, CST? That, would that be Central? Oh, yeah, but uh, Central like what time is it? Central Standard Time. So what time is That'd that compared to Eastern? probably be an hour oh, behind. Oh, he's an hour behind us in Chicago. Oh. Yeah. A little farther west. In so, do we have time to email him? At before you could six? probably email him right now. Wow! If you're watching this, though, you'd be too late for the show at that point. Yeah, it was about 21 Dis minutes. Disregard this whole says. conversation. So about an hour off. <laughs> um, Eric uh, typically doesn't show up an hour early for the show to to pass along email to me. <laughs> you know, you know what, you know what, almost late is Robbie. You know what that is? It's called on time. That's that's what it is. Right. <laughs> Sound check at six forty-five. No, no, it was six fifty-nine in, in a few seconds. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so I didn't, uh, I didn't hear, I didn't hear that bit. So, sorry about the lack of email. Um, as far well, as I, I knew, it was my fault. But I, you know, your ring does not <laughs> match mine, Mister. <laughs> All right, sorry, dude. <laughs> so, now that said, I know you're watching. So let's uh, let's figure this out for you. Hopping over to our website, Category5.tv, when you click on Interact and then Chat Room, what happens is it automatically detects that you're, you know, it, now I'm not logged in, so it's showing guest. You're going to be showing us whatever your login name is. Now, that might be confusing because, you know, you log into our website and you click on Interact and Chat Room and you think you're bringing up our chat room and things like that. But you'll notice from the address bar that what you're actually doing here is that you're you're piping your connection over to webchat.freenode.net. Freenode.net, of course, is a popular IRC server for uh, open source uh, advocates and things like that. Um, and uh, that said, you're actually connecting to their server. We're not actually getting the chat service from our server. So when you go here and you enter anything in here, be it in your case if it's Mathman or or whatever it is. Um, so if I tried to go Robbie, right, and then I tried to connect, let's say it automatically entered uh, Robbie, 185, comma, or two things. Off to services, if that's unchecked, it's not going to ask you for a username and password. If it, uh, or, and if it is checked, pardon me, they are, it is going to ask you for a username and password. What that means is off to services means that you have a registered Freenode account. So at some point you've registered with NixServe and that is your account so that nobody else can log in as you. That said, if you don't log in, if you don't off to the services, now that you've got a registered account, it will automatically either disallow you to connect or it will switch you over to a guest user account as soon as you connect. So in that case, you can do one of two things. And we, we have gone over this before, but I'll just quickly touch on it because I want you to be able to join us tonight. Uh, you can change your nickname. In my case, I could go Robbie1234 or something like that and leave everything else the same. Or, if you remember what you used as a username and password, so it would be your username, so if it was Robbie, or in your case if it was Mathman, and then the password that you would have used when you didn't sign up for our website, but when you actually registered as a registered user for um, Freenode's IRC server. That's what's happening there. So, it's just because the username that you're using is already registered to someone else. If someone else tried to register or tried to log in as Robbie F, because that's a registered name, uh, because I'm the operator of our channel, for example, uh, that person would receive a, a notification that they need to off in order to be that user. Uh, and they won't be able to do that unless they know the password, and that's what you need is the password for that account. So either 
create a new account under a different name, or uh, if it is your account, you can you can log in as that user. So I hope that with that said, within the next couple of minutes, uh, we're gonna suddenly see you join us in the chat room there as well. Um, so that would be great. Now we didn't hear, you notice off the top of the hour that we didn't hear from Hillary tonight. She's having some serious bandwidth issues this evening, but she did in fact send us um, some clips for tonight's news. Mm. So we can, we can pretend like she's here and we can say, oh hey Hillary, can you let us know what's coming up in the news? Hey everyone, coming up in the Category 5 TV newsroom, Johannesburg Stock Exchange is switching to Linux 2 because it's 400 times faster than Microsoft's product. Another hacker has been caught from a $10 million international bank heist in 2008. Microsoft wants to write the book on open source for Australia. The Government of Canada also won't allow the CRTC to charge us for our bandwidth usage. Stick around for the latest news from the Category 5 TV newsroom. Thanks, Hillary. <laughs> so, she'll be right with us as Thanks, far as Hillary. that goes. Yeah. All right. Cool. That is cool. Thanks for joining us here at Category 5 Technology TV. You'll find us online, www.category5.tv. And we invite you to join us in the chat room if, you, uh, if you're able to connect there. And uh, like I say, I hope that we see Mathman uh, joining us tonight. Cool. Right. And let us know if otherwise, and there's, there's another thing that I should suggest is that you can also install an application. Uh, some people like XChat. I like Pigeon uh, as an IRC application. lets me connect in and uh, get all my uh, you know, chats going that way through a, a single buddy list. So. Cool. Uh, today is Safer Internet Day here in Canada. I don't know if you knew. Wow. It was like a sudden announcement that came through from the uh, Canadian Centre for Child Protection at protectchildren.ca. And what they're suggesting today, uh, not just to Canadian uh, internet users and, and parents especially, but also uh, anyone around the world, it's just a, a call to be smart about uh, our, our internet usage and the way that our kids are using internet. Um, in particular, just a call to educate ourselves, and here's a good opportunity to do that with Category 5, but to learn a little bit about how the internet works, if, uh, if it's something that you find challenging, or if it's something that uh, you're not quite sure what your kids are even up to on the internet when they're using it, because they are uh, very fast-paced these days. They've basically grown up with it from birth. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, some of the things that they can do uh, with the computer is is pretty astonishing to a lot of us. Um, so what the call uh, to do on, on this day, what they're calling uh, the Safer Internet Day, um, is to uh, make sure that we educate ourselves to the point where we know what's going on with the computer, so that we know uh, what the kids are doing with the computer, and, and that's not a, a call to do anything more than to protect them from uh, from online predators and things that we don't want them to uh, to see or be involved in. There are uh, different applications that you can look at. If you're a Linux user, um, there's a program called Dan's Guardian, uh, which is a tool that allows you to, um, to actually filter uh, internet usage. And uh, there is uh, OpenDNS, uh, if you want to be able to control things at, at a DNS level, which don't be intimidated. It's not, that, uh, it's not as complicated as it may sound. But basically being able to say, OK, anything that goes through my internet connection needs to be, uh, it, it can't fall under these categories and with a couple of checkboxes uh, with OpenDNS you'd be able to uh, say you know we can't visit pornographic sites we can't visit gambling websites or uh, violent websites things like that um, so that works really well at a DNS level meaning that nowhere on your network can that happen um, also uh, if you're a Windows user um, there's a program that you can get um, take a look at cat5.tv slash spy the word is SPY and that's a program called spy agent and uh, while the name does make it sound a little bit ominous and like you're spying on your on your kids, um, it's more of a you know again it's about protection. It's about uh, monitoring what's going on in the computer, and then being able to take preemptive action to say okay, without having to do anything other than just a couple of checkboxes, just saying okay this kind of content is not permitted on the computer, and it would automatically filter those things out. So that's cat5.tv/spy uh, for a commercial Windows application. That's uh, a good tool as well. Uh, but again, Dan's Guardian uh, is a free one, but a little more complex to set up because uh, it's uh, it's a little bit different. But uh, we can certainly help with that as well. And then 
and then like I said, OpenDNS uh, is a great service and uh, spy agent at cat5.tv slash spy. But what I'll do is uh, we'll post links in the show notes for episode number 177 with a couple of ideas. And if you have some ideas uh, for how you can protect your children online, uh, I would ask that you uh, even post them either in the chat room here uh, during the live show or also pop over to our forum, our viewer forum at category5.tv to uh, participate in the conversation and give your suggestions and even help people uh, to help uh, protect their children as well. Uh, again, the Canadian Centre for Child Protection is at protectchildren.ca, and I'd encourage you to check out what it is that they do as a nonprofit and uh, and see some of the resources that they have there as well. So, okay, cool. Hey, Robbie. Hey, Math Man in Chicago is with us. Hey, okay. Math Man, yeah. just checked the auth box. Oh, unchecked it. Dece okay, so in your case, it was automatically checked. There you go. There we have it. Hey, very nice to have you here joining us live. Sorry for the lack of email. His fault. I was on time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Almost. I'm so playing. I'm so playing. All right, off to Hillary in the newsroom to find out what's coming, or what is uh, actually going on in the world of technology today. What's up? Hillary with us from earlier this afternoon. Take it away. From the Category 5.TV newsroom... Following the example set by the London Stock Exchange, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, JFC, has announced it is moving to an all-Linux-based trading platform when it relocates to Johannesburg. The JSE currently operates out of London and runs on a trading platform based on Microsoft, .NET, and SQL Server 2000. It plans to move to a Linux-based trading platform by the first half of 2012. The Linux platform provides greatly increased trading speeds over the Microsoft-based solution, executing transactions almost 400 times faster than the current trading platform. A 27-year-old Russian hacker pleaded guilty this week to stealing $10 million from a former Royal Bank of Scotland division back in 2008. Yevgeny Anakin has admitted that he was a part of the international hacking ring that executed the cyber heist. According to Reuters, they hacked the accounts of the bank's consumers, then raised the maximum withdrawal limit, and organized simultaneous withdrawals of all the funds from ATMs located in Europe, the U.S., and Asia. Anakin is not the first member of the hacking ring to be caught and sentenced. Late last year, another one received a prison sentence of six years from a court in St. Petersburg. Microsoft has called for the Australian government's agencies to engage with all forms of software development communities, be they proprietary or open source, in response to official moves in Canberra to, uh, to embrace open source alternatives. Hmm. In a letter to Special Minister of State Gary Gray released on Monday, the software giant welcomed the federal government's newly revised open source policy, which required agencies to consider open source and IT procurements. Microsoft has also offered to contribute to the development of a federal guide to open source software, noting that its experience as a vendor to the government could be of some value. Can you imagine Microsoft writing THE book on open source software? While this seems incredibly backwards, it just shows that Microsoft will try any tactic possible. The controversial CRTC decision that effectively imposed usage-based internet billing on small service providers will be reversed by the government. A senior conservative government official said Wednesday that the CRTC should be under no illusion. The Prime Minister and Minister of Industry will reverse the decision unless the CRT does so itself. The CRTC decision sparked outrage across the country with Canadians rushing to sign petitions, asking the Conservative government to reverse it. Industry Minister Tony Clement received tens of thousands of emails requesting that the CRTC's decision be struck down. It's a battle for all parties involved here, but with the Canadian government on the side of the consumer, we can hope for the best. In the meantime, if you've been with the same internet service provider since 2007 or before, contact them to see if you're eligible to be considered grandfathered for your account, meaning that no matter what happens, your billing won't change. You can get these full stories at our website at category5.tv newsroom. The, the newsroom is researched by Roy W. Nash with contributions from Gadget Wisdom Guru, Becca Ferguson, and our wonderful community of viewers. If you have a news story you think is worthy of on-air mention, send us an email at newsroom at category5.tv. For the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Hillary Rumble. Whether you've only just heard of Linux or are an expert, here's your chance to learn more about it at the Southern California Linux Expo. For 2011, Scale has added another track for system administrators. 
Scale now has five speaker tracks for you to choose from. Scale 9X features over 65 speakers covering the latest topics in open source software. The expo floor has grown to over 80 booths with commercial and nonprofit organizations showcasing products and software. And the Friday special sessions have returned too. On Friday, you can choose from FOSS Mentoring, DevOps Day Los Angeles, Los Angeles Postgres SQL Day, Scale University, or Fedora Activity Day. The Southern California Linux Expo is February 25th, 26th, and 27th, 2011 at the Hilton Los Angeles Airport Hotel. For more information or to register for the Expo, visit SoCalLinuxExpo.org. Use promo code CAST, C-A-S-T, for 40% off your registration, and we'll see you at Scale9X. You've heard all about Wirecast on episode 175. Now, try your hand at internet broadcasting with the incredible live broadcasting suite from Telestream. Visit cat5.tv slash Wirecast and give the free trial version of Wirecast a spin. Find out how it works on your system, start your own broadcast, record your show to disc, and have fun. When you're ready, Telestream and Category 5 TV would like to give you a whopping 25% off the price to purchase Wirecast. Between now and February 13th, enter the coupon code CAT5TV during checkout, and you'll receive an automatic 25% discount on your purchase of any Telestream product. Visit cat5.tv slash Wirecast today, and remember to use the coupon code CAT5TV. Wirecast from Telestream. Get it now at cat5.tv slash Wirecast. This is Category 5 Technology TV, episode number 177. And you'll find our website at category5.tv. We'd love to have you join us uh, there at the uh, community. And, of course, this is a live weekly show, and, uh, and we love having you here. Uh, tonight, uh, we're going to be looking at making sure that we choose the right surge protection. And uh, I'll let you, uh, I'm sure you've got that uh, email that we received this morning uh, already queued up and ready to go. There we go. This, this I actually received this morning, and, oh, right. and I say, you know what, this, this calls for um, a little bit of an information, kind of you and I are just going to bounce some ideas around and talk about um, what is important as we consider what kind of surge protection to, to purchase. Okay, well, here we go. Well, we had some excitement around here Monday morning. At around 10 to 7 in the morning, I was sitting in the dining room table, or at the dining room table. Good, good, okay. Suddenly, the lights dimmed. Turned back on really bright, then went off totally and came right back on along with two loud pops in the kitchen, like gunshots. And there was a sound outside like thunder. Wow. Uh, then we could smell burnt electrical. While my husband was in the kitchen, when those two loud pops sounded, he saw sparks come out of the kitchen power outlets. So we went around checking everything. We blew three fuses. The dishwasher, our printer, and the power bar for one of our computers is pooched. Good thing we had a good surge protector power bar for the computer or it would be toast. A half hour later, I noticed a fire truck at the end of our driveway. There was some kind of power surge in our neighborhood. Besides affecting everyone's houses, it caused an explosion in the trans transfer panel in the basement of the district office. The transfer panel melted and caused a small fire, so the district was closed today while they got rid of the smoke and tried to get the computers up and running again. After talking with others in the neighborhood, it turns out at least two of our neighbors had their computers pooched. One lost a TV. My laptop was on, and fortunately it was okay, but it blew the light bulb in the lamp beside it. Are we ever glad we didn't lose our computers? Hmm. There you go. I've heard that one many times. Have you ever had it happen? I have uh, not had a computer mm. blow. I've had surges that well, take actually, stuff that, that's not completely true. I've had computers completely get toasted, but that's when I was working at a TV right. station and we had a thousand foot tower outside. Right, so that's kind of Even with all the surge protection in right. the world, right. sometimes. For the end users, <laughs> though, for, for ourselves at home and stuff, it's important for us to recognize that each device that we plug into our wall to our network needs to really have some protection and a lot of people don't really understand um, maybe you understand the importance of it but do you understand the difference between you know why are there surge protectors that are eight dollars versus why are there some that are in the thirty or forty dollar range and sometimes even more uh, one of the things that I think is important to note with a surge protector is 
um, if you go around to your surge protectors, each one has a little light on it. And sometimes you find that that light is flickering. And you know what that means? Have you ever encountered that? Traditionally, when, when a light, like the light on your, on your power switch or the light that says protected, if those lights are flickering or powered off, that means that the surge protector has already been through as many surges as it can handle. So it's, oh. it's now at that point just a strip bar. It's giving power, but it's not actually protecting you. Um, so if you go around to each of your surge protectors and you find that you know, one or two of them are flickering, then this means that it's time to replace that particular unit. It's no longer uh, providing adequate uh, protection for you. Beyond that, just understanding things like, you know, what does it mean when you know, it protects you against so many joules? Uh, because each one says, you know, joules, 200, right. joules, 70. Uh, but really no explanation on the packaging what that means. It's just unit of energy. Exactly. It's how much, energy, and and how much energy can go through this device before it fails. So if, the devi if one device is comparably priced to another and there's 2,000 joules difference between the two, the one that has the higher number means it's going to protect you against a lot more than that one that has a really low number. Um, so we want to watch for things like that. Uh, response time. How quickly is the surge protector actually going to pr protect your uh, equipment? Um, sometimes that's not always easy to find, but usually uh, on a better unit you're going to see uh, little specs that are going to tell you the response time. And if it's less than one nanosecond, that pretty much means that in the split second that uh, that, that surge comes in, it automatically protects your equipment uh, very, very quickly. So that combined with a high joules rating is going to mean that you're going to get really fast and really effective protection against uh, power spikes. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about some of the other things you want to look for, but um, there are so many different types of surge protectors out there, so many different types of strip bars, and sometimes you see uh, even just the units that you plug into the wall and they turn your two outlets into six outlets. But those kinds of things usually, and sometimes they do, uh, but they'll be well marked if they do, but usually those things don't carry any amount of surge protection at all. Um, so in those cases, it's it's you're basically just plugging something straight into the wall and, you, and you're not giving yourself any protection. Yeah, and by the time your breaker blows or your fuse blows, exactly. you've typically blown something up. <laughs> right, and when you think about, yep. and yep. That, that brings another point where if the breaker trips, you, you've still burned out whatever's connected to that breaker most likely. Mm -hmm. there's, there's still a really high yeah. chance there. So there is a difference between these surge protectors that are breaker-based versus Any kind the... kind of a delicate electronic unit mm -hmm. is probably not going to survive you know, even if the breaker blows. Now the other thing, and I have experience with this, and mm -hmm. now not so many people have modems, but uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, the phone lines I mean, and stuff. some people still use their computer to do faxing mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, and, and you know what, there's quite a good population who are still on dial-up. And that phone line is a really, really good source of uh, surges that sure can absolutely uh, um, blow all kinds of components in your and you, computer. And you think that not a lot of people are using dial-up, but think about this. You've got a printer that's an all-in-one that has a fax machine. Exactly. That printer is plugged into your phone line, which, as Eric says, is a really great source of power surges, uh, which is like a boost where you're, you're supposed to have 120 or 240 volts, depending on where you are in the world, and all of a sudden that doubles, and then it fries anything that's connected to that. So it comes into that printer through the phone line, say, and then through the USB cable or Ethernet cable that's plugged into your network or your computer, it then kind of yeah. has a cascade effect of frying other items. Networking cables yeah. that... Like Ethernet cables and all that sort of thing. Every little component can carry a heck of a surge. And yep. even your cable modem, um, you know, it... Here's, I'll, give you an, I'll give you a good story. Here's one where guy, guy number, you know, we'll call him Joe. Joe Blow. Okay, just to be safe, because there's not too many Joe Blows these days. Um, he has three computers. Two of them are brand new, top-of-the-line computers, and he's got really nice surge protectors on them. But the other one, the third one, is the old clunker, and he doesn't really care, so he's got that one plugged right into the wall, and who cares? Well, not like Let it fry. Going. Let it fry, <laughs> right? But what Joe's not realizing is that very same computer is connected into the exact same internet on the exact same Ethernet router that's connected into those great computers, right? So Surge comes in through that old clunker computer that he doesn't care about and goes up through that Ethernet cable into his printer, into his computers, into uh, anything that's connected to that network. So it just shows where you really have to have proper surge protection on every device 
that's connected into your to your system. There's there's so much to choose from, and it makes it really really hard. Like you look at something like this, the retails for I don't know eight bucks, right? Yeah, sure. It's got no surge protection. It's just got a little circuit breaker, right? So you right. hope that it will trip. Good for I don't know Christmas tree lights. Yeah, that may protect your toaster if it. Uh, <laughs> I think it would melt if you plugged a toaster into it, to be honest. Yeah. Not a high enough ampage. Yeah. But something like that, really, really risky to be plugging something expensive into, like a television or a computer system, um, something that you want to last. There's no power governance there. There's no uh, filtering of the power. If there's spikes, if there's drops, if someone fires up the microwave on the same circuit and that causes a little bit of a to the line, there's nothing to protect you against that. One of the other things that we look at when we're looking at purchasing a surge protector, a UPS, anything to protect our line, is how confident is the manufacturer in the product. And the easiest way, generally, to tell that is what kind of warranty are they giving you on your connected devices. You'll notice if you're looking at some of the higher end stuff, you're going to find that, well, this one has an, a connected equipment warranty of $10,000. Whereas this one has four hundred thousand dollars connected equipment warranty, so They're if you're confident at that point, exactly. So if you've got your computer plugged in and it's worth four hundred thousand dollars and it fries, I mean, who has a four hundred thousand dollar computer, right? So, well, I have the cray in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> so, example number one, there's no warranty with that. They're not giving you any kind of guarantee that this is going to work. Example number two has. Uh, it's boasting that it has 70 joules of protection. This one retails for $8.97, so it's a little bit better. It's got Sweet. 70 joules of protection. But we want to start, you want to consider that if a power spike comes in, you're looking at bare minimum 200 joules, maybe 400 joules. Anything under 600 joules of protection is possibly not going to do any good for you. Because remember that that joules rating is how much power can get into this system beyond what is normal before it fails, before it zaps everything that's connected to it. Again, this one doesn't carry any kind of warranty. It doesn't guarantee that your equipment is going to be safe whatsoever. I've got example number three, which is a step up. We're stepping into a totally different price bracket here. This is $35 for this one. It carries up to 2,470 joules. So we're talking huge jump between the $9 and the $35 range, right? This one has no warranty, so the company is not saying, if you connect stuff to this and it gets fried, we'll protect you. They're not saying anything like that. You're still risking, you know, the, that it's going to have to come off of insurance if, if anything gets zapped. But at least you know that it's boasting that it's going to be able to protect you against over 2,000 joules of power, which is really fantastic. So I would say as far as power bars go, something like that is kind of what you want to be looking for, right? So if you've got your computer plugged into any of those lesser models, you might want to find out how many joules does that protect you against. Stepping things up even further, here's a device that is just a little bit more expensive, $37.99. This one, now here we go, now we're talking, this one protects you against uh, almost 4,000 joules and carries a $300,000 lifetime connected equipment warranty as well as a warranty on the product itself. So should you have your equipment get fried on this device, they're guaranteeing after. up to $300,000 of coverage in order to replace that device. Now it doesn't do anything for you for your data. It, so you still need to have your backups, you still need to make sure that they're kept off site or whatever needs to be done to keep those safe. But they're going to replace the equipment at least. And that's, again, a way that we can tell that the manufacturer of this device says, okay, here's a really good one. Because they're saying, okay, we'll pay you up to $300,000 if it should be needed. And not only that, we're going to do it for the lifetime of the product, not just for one year. Right, so watch out for that kind of stuff as well. So I'd say as far as power uh, surge protectors go, there you go. Something course, like that. You know, like an actual lightning strike can be anywhere from 1 billion oh, to 10 billion joules. Totally, totally. Um, so wouldn't you like to know that you got $300,000 worth of protection on that? <laughs> Indeed. Right. So that's that, you know, you can see where this is, you know, where that's important. So moving into a completely different line of products, we're now looking into what's called Voltamps, 
which is uh, these are devices that are powered by batteries. These are not only going to protect you against power spikes, so increases in power, but now they're also going to protect you against drops in power. These are called uninterruptible power supplies, or you've heard them called UPSs, and these, are, these have batteries in them. So not only do they protect you against the surges, but they also protect you when the microwave comes on and you get that little bit of a jolt. They also protect you if the power goes out and then comes back on. That can be deadly for a computer. If the power just flashes off and on, like a brownout or something like that, that can just that can damage a hard drive, that can just wreak all kinds of havoc. So this is going to be the, the unit that protects you against that. It's called a UPS. But when we really start looking at them, we realize that here is a $63 model. And it's really entry level. But what we find is that even though they cover it for $75,000 of connected equipment, okay, so there is a bit of a warranty there. There's a little bit of power. It's 350 volt amps, so you might get a couple of minutes. But the rating, as far as how much protection you get from surges, goes substantially down. Here we are with the entry-level UPS, even though it's more money than the best uh, power surge protector that we found there just earlier, is only giving you 365 joules of protection. So if you ask me, that's less than what I would call the minimum protection. Right. Now this is providing another service. Your Excel Absolutely. document isn't going to be lost when the, uh, you know, the power. Blows. Or the hard drive's not going to fail exactly. if the power browns out, right? But, but you're you swapping sides here. Yeah. You're saying, okay, I'm going to invest money in the battery backup portion, so that is now degrading the quality of the uh, the actual surge protection portion. So we need to find out, okay, well, if we're going to get the UPS, how far do we have to go as far as far as getting proper protection? So now we're going to step up to a 420 volt amp unit here. This one is $125 and carries uh, no warranty as far as, you know, it does have an equipment warranty as you would expect, yeah. but it doesn't have any uh, connected equipment warranty. And you're going to find that with UPSs. They're going to start, you know, as you get higher end, they're going to no longer have that connected equipment warranty. Uh, and that's normal. This one protects you against 412 joules of uh, power. So we're getting closer. It's a little bit better, but it's still not even close to anything that... Uh, that those uh, little things were doing. Here we've got one that is $280 basically. It carries protection against 540 joules. So we're getting closer to the 600 mark and we can say okay well here's one that is actually half decent as far as the protection goes. It's got 750 volt amps of battery power so that means it's going to power our computer a little bit longer than the 350 for sure. And it's got because it's got 540 joules of power protection against spikes, it's going to protect us a lot better than that, uh, that entry-level unit as well. But it's getting pretty expensive, see? So then we're stepping into more what you would consider for servers or high-capacity users, where here's a unit that uh, is $549, but it protects against 645 joules of power. Again, no warranty on the connected equipment, but that one's going to do the job for you, but you can see this, the jump, still not as much protection as that $37 surge protector, but we've got the battery backup, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you're, you're getting that brown out, protecting. So what you do is you buy the really decent power bar with the high protection and you plug your UPS. As long as you're smart about it, here's the trick, is you get that lesser UPS, just as Eric's saying, and then you get the good surge protector and do it the other way around. Plug the surge protector into the wall and plug the battery back up into the surge protector so that the surge never gets to the UPS. Absolutely. So important for us to understand how that stuff works so that we can see, okay, well, yeah, this UPS has got to be better protection. It's more money and it's better, but it's not actually providing you nearly as much surge protection as just a standard, um, just like a good power bar. So keep that in mind. And uh, do go around to uh, all of your power bars this week. I'd encourage you to check them out and just make sure that they are protecting you as, as well as possible. Check for flickering lights and, uh, and make sure that, uh, that you're protected because I don't want to have happen to you what's happened to our friends who emailed us. Yes. And, and another thing I, I, I learned with playing with a pile of computers around the TV station is it's, it's not a case of if this UPS is going to fail. It's when is this particular yeah. one going to fail? Because a lot of people get that. It's like they buy their antivirus and they don't do the updates. It's like you're really not protected if you don't at least check your batteries every six months or every year. You've got to, 
it's it's like a car. You got to do maintenance. You got to do your checks. You got to check the oil once in Absolutely. a while. Absolutely. Yeah. So you got to make sure those batteries are charged every once in a while. You should actually do a test, and uh, you know keep. Most of the units safe. actually have a test button. Yeah. And you can and some of them like my units here, they're higher end, and they automatically run a test. I think it's like once a week or once a month or something. They automatically switch over to battery power. And just to test the battery. But you'd status. be surprised how often it happens where somebody's got a UPS, they've got a really nice one, and they've yep. had it there for Take years, it for and yep. the power goes out, and they, everything goes down. Ge generally speaking, they're worth. <laughs> they're they're going to last for three years, the batteries. But keep in mind, just and and John will be happy to know this is that the batteries are recyclable, right? So yes. those batteries, the units themselves, the batteries can come out. They can go to a recycling plant, and you can buy new batteries to put into the UPS. You don't need to replace the UPS. You're going to save yourself a ton of money. They're like 12 bucks per battery. Some of the higher end UPSs will have maybe four batteries in them, sometimes up to six. Uh, but a general home user UPS might have one, maybe two, two batteries in them. So you're looking at 12 to $24 to replace the batteries. And follow the safety instructions. They do oh, yeah. hold quite well, a charge. Yeah, <laughs> they, they can change it's them for you there. It's real electricity. It's not just a little Absolutely. battery. Yes. <laughs> 120 times due, for sure. Hey, beyond that, you can win Wirecast 4. Log on into our website, category5.tv. We would love to have you there. If you're not already registered, register as a viewer and go to our, uh, just click on support us and then advertise on Category 5 TV. When you're there, as long as you are logged in, you're going to see how you can win a free copy of Wirecast 4. I like that price. Mm. For more information on that beautiful broadcast suite, which we use to broadcast this show, you can just uh, check out cat5.tv slash Wirecast. Also, I have been nominated for a Shorty Award. Whoa. Which I say it like that because it sounds fancy, but it was my wife that nominated me. Bless her soul. She's Whoa. a doll. But in, in geekdom, this is true. There are very few chances for geeks to get a trophy. I was jealous of the Definitely kids in not school. A football trophy. Well, in school, you know, you just don't you don't get that kind of. You see all the kids, you know, as the kid that is the 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 geek in the family, and you know, it's like you you you're not the one who's coming home with trophies and things. Uh, here's my chance to get a trophy, my friends. Um, so if you would kindly nominate us, uh, all you have to do is go to shortyawards.com/slash/robbieferguson. And I'm going to bring this up just so that you can see what's going on. Robbie Ferguson was nominated for a Shorty Award. And down wow. here, you go, I nominate Robbie Ferguson for a Shorty Award in tech because, and make sure you fill in whatever you say, okay? But you have to fill in a because. And then you go tweet your vote, and you're good to go. I'd appreciate that if we can get... Because his sidekick, Eric, is so... He's a pretty awesome guy. Yeah. That would be my chance to take home a trophy, my friends. The, uh, the wow. actual event is in, I believe, March uh, down in New York, and I'd love to be a part of it. That would be fantastic. So please do vote for me. Shameless self-promotion there. And don't forget... It's fairly shameless self-promotion, but I, I'm, I'm down with it. It's, it's important, though. My one chance. My one chance. Um, <laughs> guys, don't forget, less than one week away until Valentine's Day. Get your darling something. Wow. It's time to... Uh, to not forget any longer. Uh, Your sweetie might want a pogo plug or, or a... I don't think so. Here's a rule of thumb, guys. <laughs> if it has... A surge protector. <laughs> a UPS, perhaps. Rule of thumb that I use with my wife is if it has a wire coming out of it, she won't like it. A toaster, she won't like it. A pogo plug, she won't like it. She may love a pogo plug, but not on Valentine's Day. Okay? Yes. Get her a nice box of chocolates, some flowers, something romantic, dinner out. <laughs> Hire a babysitter for the kids, whatever it takes. This Monday is Valentine's Day, guys. All right? Don't forget. <laughs> That's all she wrote. That's all the time we have for tonight. That's it. Hope we covered a lot for you. This is Category 5 TV, and we'll see you on our website, Category5.tv. And until next Tuesday night, take care. I'll see you at the Shorty Awards. Hope so. <laughs> Hope so. See have you. a great